All right, so our reading for today is Galatians 5, 19 through 26. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. You may be seated. Uh, while I get set up, if you've got kiddos that are going to be in the class, um, you can go ahead and send them off that way. So, as John said, my name is Thomas, and uh, it's, super, it's a super joy of mine to be here with you tonight. Um, I've gotten to know many of you over the last, I don't know, couple years slash couple months, and um, I've just really grown to love your church community. And so it's an honor to get to be here and dive into God's Word with you tonight. Um, it was kind of... Uh, Cool watching Hillary read the text because you could see in her face like the emotions of like like kind of the down and then the up through the text. Um, and it is an interesting text that could potentially cause all sorts of different emotions and feelings in our hearts as we read it. And so before we even begin, I'd like for us to pray together um, and ask God to lead us. So let's go ahead and pray. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your son. Thank you for your spirit. I pray that your spirit would guide us as we uh, look to your word this evening, um, as we worship you um, in many ways. Lord, would you uh, shape us and mold us uh, by your word? And would we come away from this evening with a bigger sense of who you are, a deeper understanding of who we are, and uh, the ability to live um, keeping in step with your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we are in Galatians chapter 5, wrapping up. And uh, what we're going to talk about today flows directly out of the text that Simon taught us last week. Big surprise. He taught that, and it's, uh, it's, in, it's in the direct flow of things for us to go with the next verses. So I think that it would be helpful for us to talk about what we talked about last week for just a second. So let's review that super fast. John was preaching out of uh, Galatians 5, verses 16 through 18, which said, uh, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, 
and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now, I think that when some of us read the New Testament, uh, actually, I think when most of us read the New Testament, if not all of us, we can get this sort of like theological uh, vertigo from words that we see and hear all the time. Um, and I think that some of us may be encountering scripture for the, for the first time in our lives. Um, and the way that the, the New Testament writers talk can sometimes feel pretty foreign. And a huge part of that has to do with the fact that us living here in 2021 are separated culturally by 2,000 years um, from the people that originally would have been getting this letter. Um, but here's a helpful encouragement for you, for all of us. We share more in common in our human experience with the church in Galatia than we do differences. I firmly believe that. Um, now, sure, they didn't have smartphones. Um, they didn't have the internet some things that are pretty huge differences on our sides of things. And then uh, we don't um, ride a donkey to work, probably not, some of you might, but probably don't ride a donkey to work, and you don't walk past, um, or at least I don't walk past a temple to Apollo on the way to the gym, mainly because I don't go to the gym. That's like the, the, main, the main issue. Zach can tell you for sure that I don't go to the gym. Um, but we do share this basic reality with the church in Galatia. And that basic reality is that we both are living in an age that's marked by sin. And that transcends all cultural differences. Um, so when we see words like spirit and flesh and age and kingdom, I think we can experience varying degrees of that vertigo where we're just going, what, is that, what does that mean again? So, so to set the stage for today, I want to talk about a reality that would have been a little bit more um, at the forefront of the minds of the Galatian church, but maybe it, maybe it isn't in ours. So to the Jewish people, to Jesus, to Paul, and all of the apostles, they all shared the same view about how time worked. They believed, that, um, they believed and taught that we are living in a present evil age. And that this present evil age is marked by sin, it's marked by disease, it's marked by suffering, it's marked by sin and death. But then there's an age to come. And in this age to come, this is marked by all sorts of good things. It's marked by the Spirit. It's marked by um, God being king and uh, there being joy and peace and love. Now, I wanted to, I thought about doing a, I've never used props in a sermon before, and I really, I really hemmed and hawed about whether or not I actually do this. Um, and uh, to me, um, so for my for my Baptist brothers and sisters in the room, this is not a slam. This is a this is love. But I was like, that feels like a super Baptist thing to do. So I asked my favorite Baptist, Zach Brewer, Baptist Brewer, <laughs> should I do this? And he was like, Bro, I'm not Baptist. So I was like, okay. But he told me, he's like, don't do, don't do the props, actually. That conversation never happened. But I don't think Zach would have wanted me to do the props, so they didn't happen. But let me describe it to you this way. Imagine if I was holding, like, a picnic plate that you would take on a little picnic. It's just big enough for your little slider. And it's black. 
And then on the other hand, I'm holding a, another picnic plate, but it's clear. These could represent two ages, right? And when Jesus um, was God incarnate, and he came to the earth, and he lived, and he ministered, and he died, and was resurrected, we as Christians believe that these two ages now overlap, and that we live in this very unique time where our, our existence is still marked by sin and death, but there's also this reality that like, the good uh, things that come from the age to come are given to us through the Spirit. And so what the Spirit is saying to us in Galatians is that it should be obvious to us which age someone is marked by. The very first thing that we read in today's text is that the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. So Paul gets right to it, and he points out to us um, that we can clearly see the evidences of which age or nature or body is at work. He's not leaving the Galatians in the dark about this. He wants them to know. He wants them to have this helpful tool to be able to discern what is true. So let me go ahead and read um, the first couple verses. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Let's just sit with that for a second. If that feels like a little bit of a gut punch, it's because it's supposed to. Um, But let me instantly point something out to us all here. The purpose of the list of sinful acts here is not to pigeonhole sin into these neat little boxes or to categorize sin so that we can check to see if we're on Paul's list. The purpose of this list is to paint with a broad brushstroke of sin. So imagine that Paul is holding a paintbrush, and he's standing next to a bucket of paint that says in bold letters, sin. And then maybe there's like some skull and crossbones and some like X's and stuff that you know, usually identify this is poison. And he dips his paintbrush into that, and then he just wipes it on the wall. And when he does that, we see words like, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. But there's even like another dimension to this. It's almost as if the paint that Paul is using is a special kind of ink that is only revealed under a special kind of light, like a black light. And in this case, it's the light of the gospel. That The light of the gospel, the light of truth, reveals uh, things to us about ourselves that we might not have known before. Or reveals things to us about others that we might not have known before. Light categorically exposes darkness. So let's move on. He says in the next verse, he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. So something that I, I feel like we get wrong a lot in the church is when we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit, we oftentimes refer to it and treat it like it's the fruits of the Spirit. 
which is a very simple like change, right? It's just one extra letter, but it really changes how we think and talk about what Paul is teaching here. Um, this is important because, again, what Paul is not trying to do is just make this list of character traits that we can grab onto one by one and go, I'm so good at patience. Like, I'm so good at joy and peace. Like, he's not, he's not wanting us to grab onto these individually. Even in the way Paul phrases this evidence of being found in Christ, he's showing us that fruit is this fully orbed fruit that is evidenced in the lives of those who belong to Christ. So something that church people do that I confess I've done before, sometimes even like maybe around the first of the year, we say things like, I really need to uh, work on my anger outbursts at uh, work this year. Or I really need to work on joy this year. That's my word. Um, And I just want to be here to say that we don't work on one or the other. We conform ourselves by crucifying our sin with Jesus. This is what this text is telling us, that we're living by the power of the Spirit, fully living in our new identity as sons and daughters who are baptized into Christ. So the very second that we decide that we're going to work on something is the second that we fall into the same trap that the Judaizers who wanted the Galatian church to incorporate an element of works into their belief of how salvation happens. Now, we do need to be careful with this, right? Because do Christians do good works? Are they supposed to do good works? The answer is yes. I see some nodding. That's good, good, good. The book of James makes it pretty clear that faith, uh, if it's not going hand in hand with works, it's dead. It's a dead faith. Uh, Martin Luther once said, God doesn't need your good works, but your neighbor does. Which I think is just like a really, I love that. God doesn't need your good works, but your neighbor does. If you believe in a God who created the earth good, he created humans very good, and he's restoring all things to himself, then that really should have radical implications for how we act as a church, right? I think this is at the core of what Paul was teaching the Galatian church. Um, He's teaching that uh, your salvation is not hinged on your works, but if our lives are like a tree, then the fruit that is produced by that tree is, it truly is a clear evidence of what's going on on the inside. Paul's giving us that benefit of being able to say, if there's bad fruit on the tree, we can make pretty clear assumptions about what's going on on the inside. And remember, this primarily has to do with false teachers. But there is a two-pronged application to this where we can apply this to ourselves. Have you ever seen a tree that's being like poisoned by something? Maybe you accidentally got your weed killer too close to that, uh, to that citrus tree and all of a sudden... It's, uh, it's riding the struggle bus. I think, at a bare minimum, if a tree isn't getting good nutrition, the fruit's just not going to taste good, right? Like Maybe it looks fine, but as soon as you bite into that fruit, yeah, that, that's, a, that's a no-no. But I think at a maximum, even a cursory glance at the tree will reveal, oh, shoot, that thing's dying. Like There's a big problem here. It needs help. It needs better soil. It needs water. So, we're kind of talking about what this would have meant for the church in Galatia, right? But what, is, what does this actually look like for us? Especially when we're thinking about the part of the application that has to do with different kinds of teachers. What does this mean? Now, bear with me here, but 
many of you might be familiar with the name Mark Driscoll. And I don't want to just jump on the Mark, Mark Driscoll um, like bashing bandwagon here, but I think that it's, it's a helpful thing for us to talk about, specifically in the context of tonight. Now, if you don't know who he was, Mark was, he's still alive, by the way, it's not like he died, um, but he was the mega viral pastor of Mars Hill Church in Seattle. It was a church that started as a small community of believers. They were very unique, um, and they were doing cool stuff. And over 20 years, it ballooned into the, one of the most influential megachurches that our country has ever seen. Um, and their uh, ministry and Mark's preaching even benefited me uh, throughout the years, and I think many of you have experienced the same thing. But through a series of unfortunate events, Mark um, stepped down from his ministry at that church after it became apparent that there was numerous ways that uh, he was abusing authority and people in that church. Now, um, a lot of you might be familiar with a, an artist and a poet named Jackie Hill Perry. I heard her husband, Preston, say recently, uh, someone asked him on Instagram about a, a, a different controversial church community here in America, and he said, uh, I don't speak on churches that I'm not in fellowship with, which I think is very wise, um, and there is an element of that that we need to remember um, that our job is not to just be going around just bashing the church as often as we can and finding church communities that we're not in fellowship with to just harp on. However, um, I've got two different people, two different families in my church community who have direct friends and family who are at Mark's new church in Phoenix. Um, and it's become public knowledge at, that volunteers at this church in Phoenix are required to sign a non-disclosure agreement to serve there because they're not allowed to talk about the church at all. That's not healthy. <laughs> That's not good. If Mission Church ever asks you to sign an NDA to, uh, you know, do anything, just run. Um, there's a podcast right now called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill that's deep diving into what happened at this church over the years. Um, and first of all, I pray that there's never like a long-form journalistic uh, podcast about my life someday, <laughs> like diving into my failures. Because, I mean, if that, I'm pretty sure if that happened to any of us, like it would just like reflect pretty poorly on us. Um, it kind of reminds me of, uh, that, like that prayer reminds me when I, um, I was with my buddy, Steve Johnson, and we were, uh, we were cleaning out the house of um, a lady who had passed away, unfortunately. And um, another unfortunate element was that she, um, for whatever reason, had struggled a lot with hoarding, and her house was just full of stuff. It wasn't really dirty, it was just a lot, just a ton of stuff. And um, we, were, <laughs> we were in the master bedroom, and uh, we had rakes, and we we're just like raking this stuff, and my buddy Steve, just in a moment of pure spirituality, just said, oh, Lord, please don't let my house be cleaned out with a rake. And I thought, that's a pretty good prayer. Like, and I've prayed that a couple times before. Like, I don't want my house to be cleaned out with a rake. And I also don't want there to be a podcast um, with investigative journalists looking into my mistakes at some point, because I'm already going to be having conversations with Jesus about that someday. But... Over the course, one thing that we're learning from this podcast is that over the course of the um, life of Marcel Church, there was this deep-rooted abuse that was covered over and overlooked because simultaneous to that abuse was conversions taking place, and the church was growing 
like wildfire. But all along the way, there was this undercurrent um, displayed in the leadership of the church that honestly could have been categorized under what Paul uh, calls works of the flesh tonight in our text. A few weeks ago, um, more than 40 former elders from the Mars Hill uh, community published an open letter to Mark, basically saying um, that he should step down from his role at this church in Phoenix because he's doing everything he did before and more, and they are calling for him to, to come to repentance. But church, this is where the rubber meets the road. This is real life in, in 2021. Um, there are those within the church, even within this church, who have the potential to uh, shipwreck the faith of others because they're not following the spirit, but they're following the flesh. And that can be a tough pill to swallow, but it's true. So where does that leave us? I'm imagining that there's at least three different types of people in here, um, in this room, with three different responses to what Paul is saying here. I think the first might be a leader in the church who might be saying, could this be me? Is my life exhibiting fruit in such a way that people could trust Jesus around me? Or am I, am I potentially pushing people away because of the way I act? The second might be the person who might be asking the question, can I trust the spiritual authority of so-and-so in my life? Like, what is their fruit like? Can I trust them? And then I think the third person is a person who's sitting here and they're feeling condemned by a passage that ultimately is meant to give life. That's what I want to spend the rest of our time reflecting on. The quote that um, I picked for this week's Instagram, Facebook, picture, whatever, someone writes in a notebook and posts a cool picture, wasn't me. Um, it's from St. Augustine. And he said in, uh, in his confessions, he said, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it is found in you. And if you're sitting in here today, and you're human, then God made you to function as a dearly beloved son and daughter that is a royal priest in this world, extending grace and love to his creation. I want you to know that. You are dearly loved by God. And when we or our leaders are living according to the flesh, it's like taking an engine that's supposed to run on gasoline and then pouring in a bunch of Kool-Aid and expecting it to run. Like, it's probably not going to happen. It's, it's going to ruin the engine. and that, that car's not going anywhere. Our hearts are designed to be uniquely and particularly oriented towards Christ and his spirit. And that's what Paul is getting at when he says, against such things there is no law. Lives that are oriented uh, towards Christ that have been crucified with him are lives that are not bound by the law with all of its demands, but they're lives that obey God's law because they're, li they're lives that obey God's law out of love for him and love for neighbor. So let's look at the next verse together really quick. Galatians 5.24 says, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So I want to ask the question, does this mean that being a Christian mean uh, that you don't ever have desires for sin again? Because it kind of reads that way, doesn't it? Those who belong to Christ Jesus 
I've crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Well, the reality is, is that we still do desire sin, right? I mean, this is, that's my reality, at least. But that's part of the tension of living in this already, not yet age that we talked about at the beginning. Um, Paul hits this on the head in um, the famous tongue twister in the Bible, Romans 7, when he says, For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. And he wraps up this particular tongue twister by saying, who will rescue me from this body of sin and death? I mean, it just sounds like this soul cry. Who will rescue me from this body of sin and death? But his answer is immediate. He doesn't leave us there for long. He says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. God has designed you for communion with him and with others. And through his spirit, he has given this church, mission church, the opportunity for daily renewal, and ever nearness to him. We are free to obey because of love. We're free to obey because of love. The next, uh, next little point in my notes, it's just um, on this last verse here, which says, uh, let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. The, uh, the note that I wrote down is, uh, don't get too big for your britches, Mission Church. And I can say that with authority because I'm not a member here, so I can just really feed it to you with no consequences. But not becoming conceited is the warning that's given to a church that's just been given a tool to discern if people are walking with God. This is the warning for a church who's just been given a tool to discern if people are walking with God. Now, you all are a super thoughtful bunch. Um, the people in this room come from all different walks of life. Um, you've got some scientists, you've got electricians, you've got missionaries, you've got activists, you've got cops, you've got musicians, you've got students, you've got farmers, you've got doctors. You even have an ordained assistant to the associate pastor of announcements, John Simon. Distinguished. Distinguished. Now, despite all these differences... As I've gotten time to spend uh, with you guys, and I've spent a lot of time with some of you, um, what do you call you guys, by the way? Are you missionites, missionaries? Um, I like missional person. How about that? That could be like mission, mission people. Yep, that's it. That's that for forever. Um, I've never met one of you who isn't thoughtful and discerning and interested in knowing about truth. I would say that that's like a pretty like broad way to describe the people of Mission Church, is you guys love to think, and you think well. Three cheers for mission in that regard. Hip, hip, hooray. We're just going to do one. One, one hip, hip, hooray. Um, but here's, here's, your, here's your warning. As, as a thoughtful people, as a people who uh, thinks well, and this is Paul's warning, so I'll just stand right behind him and be like, yeah. Living in step with the Spirit as a community will mean that it will become obvious to you when others, whether they're in your community or not, are living out of step with the Spirit. This will, this will happen. In fact, I think it happens here all the time. You guys are very discerning. But the potential failure lies in saying, 
those people over there don't have the Spirit of God. And the correct response to seeing failure in the lives of others can be found just a few verses before. Andy preached on this a couple weeks ago in Galatians 5.13, which says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So how can you serve someone who's living according to the flesh? Well, you can wash their feet. Maybe literally. I think some of you have some telephone gifts that needs to like, be dealt with. Um, so if that's you, I'll wash your feet right after this. But proverbially, spiritually, we wash each other with the word of God. We feed each other with true food. We give spiritually thirsty people true drink. Now, this isn't, this isn't calculus. This is just arithmetic. Dirty people need clean water to be washed with in kindness. Hungry people need good food to nourish their bones. Thirsty, weary people need rich, smooth wine to quench their thirst and warm their stomachs. And we don't offer this to each other in a vacuum. We invite each other to this table in love. We offer each other Christ. And I can think of no better way to follow a reflection on the fruit of the Spirit than to dine together at the table of the Lord. Now, at Mission Church, we worship together through three primary ways. Um, We sing. We sing songs to God in spirit and in truth. Uh, We sing true things about God. Um, We praise him. Sometimes we um, might even lament in our songs as we talk to God. But we talk to God through singing. We also worship through giving. Um, And in this act of giving, we are acknowledging that all things belong to God. And we participate with him in his mission by giving. And then finally, we worship through communion. Um, And it is in communion that we have the opportunity to um, lay down our rights, lay down our, um, our grievances, lay down our sin, um, and enjoy the highest form of fellowship that we could ever have with God and with others by participating in communion. And one of the ways that we prepare for uh, these things is through a brief time of confession. Now, um, if, you're, if you're new here, this confession doesn't involve you entering into a booth with a priest and spilling your guts, but it does involve uh, you approaching a holy God in prayer with a heart posture of submission and a desire to draw near to him. I just want to remind us all today that God delights in repentance. He's ready to bind your wounds. He's ready to weep with you. And he's ready to feed you true food and drink. So before we take this time, we're going to take just two or three minutes to to pray um, by ourselves to God. Um, after you've taken whatever time you need to, to confess, to talk to God, to <clears throat> have him bind your wounds, think about what it is that we're going to do when we come forward and participate in communion. This is not just coming forward and um, eating a little bread and drinking a little wine. This, this is meeting 
the Christ who promises to be with us until the end of the age. The evil age that we still live in is the age that Jesus says, I will be with you even to the very end of the age. And we get to be with Jesus in a profound way when we approach him at the table. We do this together. We do it uh, out of love for one another, out of love for our neighbor, um, believing that we need this means of grace to draw near to him uh, and to be able to love our neighbor. So I'll go ahead and start off our prayer time very briefly, and then, uh, and then we'll sing some songs. God, thanks. Thank you for um, your word. Thank you for the way that uh, you, knowing us best, can open up our hearts in a way that feels painful at first, maybe, but then you instantly pour in the balm of the gospel. And I pray that um, as we approach you at the table, that we would um, do it with uh, hearts that have been um, sprinkled by your blood, having been baptized into you. Um, we desire uh, to draw near to you. Thank you.